America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. It is a great day for the release of a big new book, which is a somewhat scandalous memoir by a, an ultimate political insider. If you've listened to the show for a while, you've heard many times we've had Doug Schoen as a guest. And I, I appreciate Doug's perspective because he's somebody who's worked for both Republicans and Democrats. And he is a pollster. He is uh, a political advisor. He's a prolific author. And he has a uh, new book uh, called Power, the 50 Truths, uh, the Definitive Insider's Guide. And uh, some of what he talks about is actually fairly surprising and fascinating. Uh, maybe the most controversial and significant thing he talks about is as somebody who was a pollster and an inside advisor very much for Bill Clinton and for Hillary Clinton, he talks about the fact that uh, the Monica Lewinsky imbroglio, Bill's entire obsession with uh, Monica Lewinsky and uh, trying to defend himself against the charges which were true, uh, that he that he had uh, uh, actually gone um, uh, that he had actually involved himself with Monica Lewinsky and had lied to the public when he said I did not have sex with that woman Monica Lewinsky and then there's another stunning revelation about Donald Trump nothing scandalous this time but something uh, that most people don't know about which was his first uh, trial run for president of the United States for which Doug Schoen did the polling back in 1987 he was going to run against uh, Vice President George H.W. Bush uh, running presumably for the nomination that was ultimately won by Michael Dukakis uh, Doug congratulations on uh, the new book Power the 50 Truths uh, we won't go through all 50 what's the most important truth about power the most important truth I would say is know yourself know your goals and objectives and be able most of all Michael to do something you do very well which is to listen well thank you and uh, and which politicians that you've worked with and again this is politicians in yep. in Israel and in, in Europe uh, around yep. the world, you've worked for Nobel Prize winners, you've uh, Nobel Peace Prize winners. Which politician was the best listener? I would say probably Bill Clinton was the best listener, and Ehud Barak was probably the best strategist when armed with new information. That's interesting because... For Ehud Barak uh, is not popular in Israel at all. I mean, he's not. He, no, absolutely not. And uh, he, he, uh, for instance, had done the re retreat in in Lebanon, which was considered uh, a disaster. And as certainly somebody who is, um, though he was Israel's greatest war hero, most decorated soldier ever, he he ended up. Uh, being someone who I know that many Israelis feel that 
Barack uh, was not trustworthy, that he basically... Well, and, and I would tell you, having worked with him, trust would not be at the top of my list. He had a bunch of people working for him in 1999, including myself. And I said to Ehud, why is it that you have multiple groups working for you, doing the same thing? And he said, because I'm a general. I need different sources of information so I can make the best decisions. And, yeah, that and stuck, stuck with me. And uh, you have a picture of one of the most famous generals of all time on the cover of your book. It's a detail showing Napoleon on horseback. Yep. Uh, do, you, do you believe that the you were talking about the essence of power, the number one truth is that you have to listen and you have to take things in. Uh, what about the definition of charisma? Because if you look at people like Napoleon, great uh, it, yep. people describe just feeling the power emanating from him. People did not necessarily feel that about Bill Clinton, who you mentioned, but they... Well, I, you know, Clinton radiated something else. He rated, radiated warmth and empathy. Um, I feel your if pain. If you were with Clinton, he made you feel like you were the most important person in the room. And if you were a woman, absolutely the most important person. <laughs> well, it's, it's something... As you know, I, I don't know the president well, former president, as you do. But uh, I, I know him briefly and a little bit going back to law school. And Yeah, I, I, I remember you were in the same class, were you not? I, correct. Actually, I was in the class of 72. He was 73. But Hillary okay. was in my class originally. But uh, the, the point about I was going to say about Bill Clinton is he has remarkable eyes. And yes. They are they are really they're blue eyes with tremendous intensity. I know I've described Correct. them as Bunsen burner eyes. And yep. when when he looks at you, and he often does, he makes on eye contact very directly. And yes, you he do does. feel he's really, really paying attention to me and he cares about me. And yes. <laughs> you know, I, I if I can tell a quick story. Please. Um I would frequently go to his Saturday morning radio address. And I had a young son at the time who's now older. And Clinton was very gracious to him, which I appreciate, of course. But Clinton said to me um, one day, you know, Doug, it's so nice having your son here. Uh, I'd love you to bring him down uh, some afternoon and he can play in the Oval Office. Well, I mean, it sounded very nice and it is very nice. And then I said, wait a minute. He can't mean that. It's a gracious thing to say. It's a polite thing. But this is something designed to win my heart and soul forever with no chance of ever happening. I mean, could you imagine? Oh, yeah, he said he signed up for play today. In the How office. old was your son at the time? Six or seven. <laughs> but Clinton had that instinctive. I say this not to mock him, but to praise him. He understood how to reach people how to persuade them of his empathy and compassion. And it may not have been charisma of the sense that uh, Napoleon or other powerful people brought, 
but it was a different kind of charisma that clearly worked for him for a very long time. Okay, it's it's one of those things where uh, he also has this phenomenal memory. This is yes. <laughs> which I've never seen anything like. You know, the other politician who knocked me out with his memory and can remember congressional races from 50 years ago and in all 435 congressional races is Dan Quayle. And really? I did not know that. He's a political junkie. He knows I, he knows all of this stuff. And he's he Dan Quayle, despite the reputation, is a very bright guy. And I assume, assume he he would be. And I would tell you with Bill Clinton, there was one time he he ran our meetings using the Yale Law School, Harvard Law School Socratic method. And if you said something that variants one week to last week or two weeks before, he would say, well, last week you said this, now you're saying that. What is it you believe? And the point is, he would remember uh, what you had said before. When we come back, this idea of a Trump campaign in 1988, it was 1987, uh, Doug Schoen was hired to do a poll. And guess what? This is Donald Trump. He didn't have an easy time getting paid. (laughs) And that's in the book, too. It's called Power, The 50 Truths, The Definitive Insider's Guide. We'll be right back with Doug Schoen. He knows who he is, and he knows what he believes. Michael Medved. surprises you can get from uh, reading Power, The 50 Truths, The Definitive Insider's Guide uh, by Doug Schoen. You talk about the 50 truths, 10 commandments were good enough for God. You you need 50 truths to pass on about power, Doug? Well, the, 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 the 10 commandments didn't run, as I'm pleased everyone would think, the 300-odd pages my book and I felt that they were uh, worth saying, though considerably less important to our civilization than the Ten Commandments. Okay, okay, that's that's some becoming modesty there. However, not all the people you worked with have been known for becoming modesty. Uh, that is true. You you have some mention about um, and his importance in American political history the uh, name that is seldom spoken these days, uh, Anthony Weiner. Uh, yeah. what, uh, what are one of the truths that applies to Anthony Weiner? That he could not understand his issues, his infirmities, his opportunities, and ultimately was destroyed in a way that was as pathetic as it was devastating not only to himself, but to uh, his marriage, his child, and ultimately Secretary Clinton. Yeah, because the the those last emails, the ten days before the election in two thousand sixteen, they were the emails on Anthony Weiner's laptop. Correct. I, it, it it sounds obscene to even talk about Anthony Weiner's laptop. That just is so we. 
we can't go there. Uh, what, what we can go to is this fascinating episode, and I had largely forgotten about this, that uh, uh, Donald Trump was serious about running for president, and this is back in 1987. He was going to run in 1988. Was it his plan when he asked you to do a major poll about his possible race, was it his plan to run as an independent or would he have run as a Democrat? I think he would have run as an independent then. I think he understood that he was unlikely to be nominated. He, by that point, was not a Republican. That didn't come until the early 2000s. And the question was, was there an opening um, after Ronald Reagan uh, for a hawkish, um, pro-social uh, welfare policy candidate who was an outsider and an entrepreneur. The problem in that year was that it was when the casinos uh, began their descent into bankruptcy. And what the polling showed was that while Trump was not as well-known, certainly, as he was after The Apprentice, he also uh, suffered from the fact that if his argument was he was a great uh, builder and a great entrepreneur and his casinos and then ultimately himself were facing imminent bankruptcy, it was a pretty tough argument to sustain in a competitive presidential election. Now, he had agreed to pay you, you say in the book, uh, he had agreed to pay you 80 grand for a yep. poll. And uh, which, uh, you know, is... Uh, uh, even when you're you're dealing with a, in, a notorious high roller like uh, President Trump, uh, eighty grand is is especially at that time it's a significant investment, um, and he paid you cheerfully and immediately, right? Well, uh, not quite. Um, I had to wait about full two months, and as you remember, in the pre nine eleven period, Michael. There was no security in office buildings anywhere, and certainly not New York. And one Friday afternoon, it was dreary in the spring, and, you know, I hadn't heard from him, and I was getting a little nervous and frustrated. So I walked up uh, uh, Fifth Avenue from Midtown to Trump Tower, made a right turn into Trump Tower, went to the 26th floor, and uh, uh, then uh, businessman... Donald Trump had a corner office in the back front of his office. And I did something that people have done for time immemorial. I sauntered past the uh, receptionist like I owned the joint. I walked into his office. I said, Donald, you got to pay. He said, do you see this pile of invoices? You want me to pull your invoice out from this pile? I said, Donald, I only need one check. He went, okay, that makes sense. Pulled it out, signed it, and gave it to me. I walked out, and I said, you know what? I don't really want to have to do business like this in the future. And, and the check, did, did the check didn't bounce. This was, this, this was not George Santos. The check didn't bounce. No, this was not George Santos. And I would tell you the other thing I say in the book is those who think Trump is just a buffoon are wrong. He's very smart. He's very shrewd. And he is very analytical. 
and I know that goes against the stereotype, but trust me, if he's not uh, in front of the media, if he doesn't feel on edge or on guard, you can talk to the man. It's just increasingly become difficult. And for me, as he's moved as far to the right as he has and countenance policies, I cannot uh, abide. Uh, I could not have anything to do with him, but uh, nothing that I wrote was wrote, written in anger or bitterness. What What about um, do you do you believe because you obviously know the man you worked for him in a political context? Does he really believe in his heart that he was cheated of a victory in this last election? You know, I'm going to hazard a guess, Michael, that he doesn't. And when I say that, I think he believes there was a lot of fraud. I think he believes that with the mail-in ballots uh, and the harvesting of ballots, that there was a lot of fraud. But I think he would understand that even if that's the case, which it may or may not be, but even if it is, that there probably was not demonstrated at all to anyone's satisfaction that it made a determinative difference. But he is always on guard. And you saw before the election, as did the American people, that he was setting himself up for that argument that if he didn't win, it had to be fraud. So I, I, I think the there, there was a logic to it that unfortunately played out to what I believe was his disadvantage and the disadvantage of the country given January 6th. Okay, can you um, hang on for one more one more segment, Doug? Yes, sir. Okay. I want to ask you about people you've worked for uh, and who you believed in, I think, uh, who were assassinated, gunned down. Uh, we will get to that and more uh, with Doug Schoen, author of a fascinating new book about his extremely varied and checkered career. It is called Power, the 50 Truths. We'll be right back. Entertain your brain. Your show is very entertaining. Every day on The Michael Medved Show. And on The Michael Medved Show, a few minutes more with uh, Doug Schoen. He is the author of the new book, Power, the 50 Truths, the Definitive Insider's Guide. And a few excerpts have uh, appeared, or actually interviews with Doug Schoen based on the book have appeared in the New York Post, uh, which uh, you also find out from reading this book was uh, Trump's newspaper of choice. And this is long before he identified as a conservative or Republican at all. In, in any event, uh, Doug, one of the reasons I think your perspective is so compelling to so many people is because you've been on both sides. It's like that song, that Joni Mitchell song, Both Sides Now. And uh, you have been on the Republican side uh, with uh, with people like Mike Bloomberg when he was a Republican and, uh, and Donald Trump. And you've been on the Democratic side with the Clintons. And even in Israeli politics, do I have this right? You, you worked for 
the late Yitzchak Rabin, but you also worked for Menachem Begin, who was the saint of the and, and Shimon Peres. Right, but Shimon Peres was always had this Labor Party association with well, Rabin. That, that's why, why I'm saying that, because on the other side, Begin was the founder and hero of the modern-day Likud. Absolutely, but you've never worked with Bibi. I know Bibi. He invited me once to Israel. Don't know if I put this in the book. I think he, I did. He invited me to Israel. He hired me. And then uh, he effectively stiffed me. Um, he just, I never heard from him, and I heard he hired somebody else. And when I called his team up to ask, you know, what happened, they said, consider yourself lucky. You're only out your plane fare now. If you'd done the poll, you probably wouldn't have gotten paid that either. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think you can make this stuff up. But I spent good three or four hours with BB. Uh, he knew all about me, knew about my work. And he is as shrewd an analyst as I have seen, as good as Bill Clinton. Um, and he said something to me that stuck with me that I'll repeat for your listeners. This was during the Obama years. He said, could you imagine that the prime minister of Israel would be closer to the leaders in Saudi, Saudi Arabia and Egypt than the president of the United States? And, and then not that he would be uh, closer than the president of the United States is, but that he would be closer to those leaders than he is to President Obama. There Correct. was certainly no love lost between Precisely. Bibi Netanyahu and Obama. But yeah. you you lived through the uh, Rabin assassination. I did. Which was such a, a devastating and, and tragic event for, for Israel. Um, you weren't in, in Israel at the time that he was killed. No, right? I, I was not in Israel at the time we were literally finalizing a poll in New York for Prime Minister Rabin that was going to start, I think, on, on the Sunday after Shabbat. I think he was killed, was it Saturday night? If, if I memory serves, right. I could be wrong. Yeah, and literally we were ready to go in the field, and of course we did. And this is one of those things where the whole history of the Middle East, uh, if if he hadn't been killed, uh, could have been very different. I mean, the, yes, the I, I, I believe the Oslo Absolutely. Accords had happened, and um, yep. it's uh, had you had you ever had any involvement with uh, either of the Kennedy brothers in in your political career? Well, I, I do have two quick stories on that in. 64, one of the ways I got politicized was I was a kid in New York, Saturday morning uh, in October. Uh, Bobby Kennedy was having an, a rally, and I pressed forward to him. He saw we, me with my football and said, hey, young man, throw me the ball. He did. I did. He threw it back, and I was hooked. Um, I guess 16 years later, I remember after Teddy Kennedy made that ill-advised comment about Iran and understanding the hostage taking the headline, 
He's the toast of Tehran. Remember that one? <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. That was not uh, one of the great moments for Senator Kennedy. No. Yeah, I got hired by Senator Kennedy's team to do a p- quick national poll on the impact and what he should say. And so I go down to Hickory Hill. I see this as my big moment. And Teddy is sitting with Joan eating breakfast silently, neither of them talking. I see him. I expect I'll be greeted. You know, what are the numbers? What's the strategy? He goes, they're all downstairs in the basement, meaning the campaign staff. And that was my contact with Ted Kennedy in the 1980 uh, election. In terms of your sense of the various uh, political personalities, right now we have a range of people. People are focused very much on Tim Scott, who gave a memorable speech Mm -hmm. uh, last night, and uh, focused on Nikki Haley, another South Carolinian, and Ron DeSantis, of course, another prospective candidate. Are there any of these potential challengers to either uh, Trump or to Biden who strikes you as they've got the stuff. Uh, These are people with a real power to them who could change history. Well, I think right now as we sit here, DeSantis has the numbers in the polls. It's not clear whether he has the stuff to go all the way. To me, he's very much of an open question. He's never been on the national scene before. He's got a short temper. And he appears to me to be better at playing the anti-woke card than he does in governing. That being said, he is in a commanding position in the Republican primaries. And if it isn't Donald Trump, uh, DeSantis is the odds-on favorite. I think Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and Mike, Mike Pompeo are excellent people. I'm just not sure with DeSantis and Trump. Under current circumstances, there's room for them or a lane for them to be nominated. And uh, do you take it for granted that Biden is going to be the nominee? Uh, As we sit here today, given the midterm elections, the successful State of the Union and the doctor's report on his health, my simple answer is yes, absolutely. And uh, how do you think it would go if Kamala Harris challenges him? For the nomination. Not well for Kamala Harris. <laughs> I don't think she's going to challenge him. I think she will end up running with him. I think he probably wishes he could pick somebody else. But given the vagaries of politics, I think it's most likely she'll be the nominee for vice president. The uh, book is Power, the 50 Truths. Uh, Doug Schoen is the author. And uh, there's much more to talk about. One of the things that we'll talk about next time is how it is that uh, Trump imagined that he would win in 1988. And this is before he had started any birther stuff. I mean, he was kind of, um, well, he was a casino man. And a big victory against another one of your former clients, Hillary Clinton, who also makes um, some very memorable appearances in uh, in this book. Uh, Doug, uh, what's next? Do you know what you're going to write about next? I'll tell you, you'll, you'll get a kick out of it. I'm writing about Biden, Trump, uh, 
Nixon and Kennedy. How it, it sounds fascinating. Uh, Thank you. Godspeed and uh, have a great weekend. We will be right back on the MedVet Show. The Michael Medved Show. Now that's really good. <laughs> Michael Medved show just talking with uh, Doug Schoen about power. One of the great sources of power or charisma or anything else from a political figure is energy. Uh, you don't want to be tired and old and stale and neither do you. But when you're feeling that way, that's your immune system telling you maybe your body has too much acid. Your stomach may be upset. You have acid indigestion. You can't really eat the foods you enjoy eating. Balance 7 can change that, and they can change it pretty quickly, too. Uh, Balance 7 dilutes the acid buildup in your body. It also helps to reduce heartburn dramatically, and it also helps with joint discomfort. It's all natural ingredients and a full money-back guarantee. Try it. Find out how good your body can feel again. Uh, go to our website, michaelmedved.com, click on the banner for Balance 7, use the code MEDVED, that's M-E-D-V as in Victor, E-D, and get $15, $15 off your order. You get free shipping plus a free bottle of My Smooth Skin product and a money-back guarantee. In three, day time, in three days' time, you will feel the difference. Or you can give them a call at 800-793-9039. Use the uh, code word MEDVED. Okay, there's um, bad news again. Uh, Another shooting. Six people are dead in Tate County, Mississippi, after a uh, series of shootings today. This, uh, according to... um, uh, TV station WMC. The shootings all happened within the Arkabutla uh, community. Tate County Sheriff Brad Lance told WMC one shooting incident occurred inside a store on Arkabutla Road where a man was shot and killed. A woman was also killed inside a home on Arkabutla Dam Road. Her husband was injured during the incident, but it's unclear he was if he was shot. Again, this is for people who think that uh, violence and unnecessary death and suffering is only a problem in big cities. And country life, and, and Tate County, Mississippi is the country. Uh, this, is, um, this is a very sad and alarming news. And, and again, the idea of idyllic, peaceful, settled, Mayberry RFD kinds of country towns, uh, some real problems and problems with drugs. Uh, There's a, here in Seattle, we mentioned this yesterday, and it's, it's horrible because fentanyl is bad enough, but they are now um, mixing fentanyl together 
with another zombie drug called Trank. This is the way that Fox 13 reported on that drug. Clip 10. If you've ever wondered what could make fentanyl, probably the most lethal street drug in modern history, any worse, tonight we have the answer. Trank. Drug users turned into real-life zombies right down to the rotten flesh. We didn't want to believe it either, but it is real and it is here. All documented in this DEA report, the growing threat of xylazine mixing with illicit drugs. Xylazine is an animal tranquilizer. Trank is what you get when you mix it with fentanyl. Lab hits for xylazine are up 112% in the West. Deaths are rising, too, into the triple digits. Xylazine has been confirmed in overdose deaths in Snohomish and King Counties, at least 12 that we know of. And those most familiar with the drug fear, it will get much worse. He didn't have a flesh-eating disorder, he didn't have an abscess, and he doesn't know how his finger went missing. And to me, that is just strange. He said it was just miraculously gone. A narcotic nightmare, moving like a chameleon through an already dangerous drug supply. As if fentanyl wasn't deadly enough, suppliers are mixing in a new ingredient and creating a new drug crisis from the East Coast to Puget Sound. It goes by many names. Fetty powder, Trank Dope is the big one. They seem, everyone seems to kind of know what Trank Dope is. Isn't that a terrible thing? And, and again, apparently these black marks and rotting marks in your flesh and losing fingers and not knowing where they went or how you lost them. Um, and methamphetamine's horrible enough. And when, when you look at the idea that uh, particularly for those of us who are lucky enough to be parents, you know, grandparents, uh, you think all the people who are suffering from this trank dope now, somebody's kid. And it's not what we, you, you raise kids hoping for. And by the way, maybe you raise kids and they go to University of Washington like uh, two of our three children did. And um, now the U District is suddenly infested by crime. This is Como News reporting on UW students and how they feel about it. Clip 9. Efforts to ramp up security here in the U District have been done before, but people we spoke with say just not enough. Near this intersection in the U District is where SPD says a man was defrosting his car Tuesday morning when he was shot by a driver. Some UW students say there's been similar crimes in the area. It's really sad, but we're going to school in a place where there's drive-by shootings all the time and I have to think about worrying about guns. It's the latest of many recent incidents concerning them. I don't think enough is being done to keep the students safe, no. A couple of weeks ago, a man was stabbed on his way to a local business. Incredibly unfortunate and very sad and concerning that there hasn't been a change. Last October, we reported SPD was adding patrols due to gun violence at the time. Department officials say they're no longer doing emphasis patrols there because of staffing challenges. Some area business owners feel more officers would help deter crime. I think we need more security, like some patrol and things like that. Most likely the people from some other places come here and create the problem. And also help make them feel safer. If uh, we have more officers be patrol here, then we feel more, a whole lot better. Okay, uh, 
and it's not just uh, the university district. It's not just the city of Seattle. Tacoma had a, a record homicide year, and the Tacoma police chief addressed that surge in violence. Listen. Homicides in Tacoma, an issue growing for years. In 2002, the city of Destiny saw 45 deadly incidents. So far this year, there has been five. Crime is not out of control in this city. I study crime every day, um, every day in this city, and I'm proud to say we have made a reduction. Tacoma Police Chief Avery Moore presenting to City Council Tuesday results from the last six months of the department's violent crime reduction plan. The plan defines violent crime by murder, robbery, and aggravated assault, and focuses on about 15 high crime hotspots. Places like Hosmer Street, which became synonymous for violence over the last few months. According to the presentation, violent crime incidents fell 36%. Recent numbers do show crime is down in a lot of areas. But for the community, it's a hard pill to swallow with continual reports of deadly incidents in their city. I think what people look at when they think about violent crime is only homicides. And so when we look at the number of homicides, news would report we had the highest homicide rate in 2022 that we've ever had. <laughs> the highest we've ever had. But the good side is uh, now they're focusing on bringing it down. Look, uh, there there's so much of this that has to do with the general deterioration of urban life that's associated with homeless encampments, uh, garbage, um, the broken windows effect, the graffiti everywhere. And by the way, I, I travel the I-5 on my way to work. They're making some progress. They are. They There are a couple of places where they paint stuff over, and then it's... Uh, two days later, three days later, boom, the uh, crap is back. And there is a sense that, and I think it's a nationwide sense, it's not just Seattle. Just things are out of control. I mean, nobody's on top of anything. And, yeah, I'm happy for President Biden's medical exam. We'll tell you some of the surprising details. Uh, nothing is surprising. Remember Obama? He did a medical exam, and the big news was he had was taking uh, nicotine pills in replacement for the cigarettes that he used to smoke. Uh, we will get to that and more about dissatisfaction with gun laws and more about affordable housing. Is there anything that a state or city can really do to help that cause that and more in this greatest nation on God's green earth.